You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I'm Carrie Miller, and our Women of Faith series continues on NPR News. If you followed the recent electoral news from the largest democracy in the world, you're seeing headlines like this. Under Modi, a Hindu nationalist surge has further divided India. Most Westerners know very little about Hinduism, even though it's the fifth largest religion in America. And what we do know is shaped by caricature, cows and castes, karma and yoga. Today, a conversation with Suhag Shukla about the tenets of Hinduism and why those misconceptions are so damaging. Ms. Shukla is the co-founder and executive director of the Hindu American Foundation, and she joins us today from Philadelphia. Welcome. It's really good to have you as part of the series. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So in your efforts to educate the public about Hinduism, I wonder if you encounter people who think the kind of character caricatures that I just mentioned are pretty benign. What, you know, what's wrong with assuming Hinduism is, you know, associated with something fun like karma? They think, what's the big deal? And what, what's the answer to that? Well, I think that any sort of ignorance um, can breed division. And so when... There are, there are approximately 3 million Hindu Americans in the United States. So they are your neighbors. They might be your doctor. Uh, there might be communities where someone doesn't even come across a Hindu American. And as we live in a more globalized society and more multicultural societies across the United States, it's important that we understand one another because we're in a shared space as uh, fellow residents of communities. We're also... Uh, citizens of a democracy and understanding is key to our peaceful and fruitful coexistence. You know, I wonder, I mentioned the headlines that are coming out of India. I, I don't know how aware the average American is of what, you know, the kind of changes that are taking place in India. But I also wonder if when you glance at a headline or you hear something on the news and you hear this idea of rising nationalism, you put Hinduism in a place that is uh, easy to misunderstand, you know, one of those religions, too, where they're fighting among themselves, and that's not something that Americans really have to be concerned about. So how do you reconcile the kind of news that comes out of a place like India with this deeper understanding you're trying to cultivate in the United States? It's really about conversation. Um, you know, it's obviously great if someone actually asks questions as opposed to just making assumptions mm -hmm. on some of the headlines that they read. Um, and I think that religious literacy generally is um, in need of much improvement and investment in America. Uh, most people, um, there's survey after survey uh, that show that l religious literacy is quite low amongst Americans. And then when you get into the nitty gritty of different religions, even more so. So the familiarity of just the basics of Hinduism are virtually unknown. So some of our work starts with Starting with the basics, you know, most American school or public school students are introduced to religion in fifth or sixth grade. And myself, having been a former public school student um, who was raised in the California um, Silicon Valley area, I remember 
reading about a religion that seemed foreign to what I knew to be my religion. And so we've been working for the past 16 years alongside other faith-based communities and other uh, cultural communities and ethnic communities to ensure that what we're teaching our children um, better reflect the lived traditions of different communities and um, different people so that, uh, you know, just that first introduction has at least some semblance of balance and accuracy so that when they do read the newspaper or they see a news story, they're able to have some context. No, you've just put your finger on it. I, I made a note of that word foreign, and, and you nailed that with this seems like something that is mysterious and other to the faiths mm-hmm. that we're, you know, that, that uh, Americans are, are accustomed to understanding. And I think that that places it in a whole different category, right? It's something I don't really need to know about. That's them over there doing that. That's a, that's exactly right. It's a tall order, though, isn't it? To <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, you're doing this every and, and day, you know. It, <laughs> for sure. And you know, uh, in the early days, uh, we had a lot of uh, bumps in the road. Uh, we. Each of us brought to the foundation our own understandings of Hinduism. And so it's a great responsibility to represent and to try to educate people about a tradition that's as ancient and as diverse, internally diverse as Hinduism. And so I remember, uh, you know, we'd write a simple definition on concepts like dharma Mm. or uh, or karma, and immediately someone from a particular sampraday or denomination would reach out and say, well, this is not exactly how we get it. You're about 50% there. And so, you know, we learned how to use words like many Hindus believe XYZ. Mm. Others may believe ABC. And that way, I think that we've come to a point where we are able to best reflect the breadth and the depth of these different um, fundamentals. You know, the other thing I wondered about is with the iconography that Americans associate with Hinduism, um, you know, and some of the new agey uh, mm-hmm. aura, I guess, that yes. some of the beliefs carry, whether it's easy then for people that don't understand it to dismiss it, dismiss it as not a very serious faith. I think it is. Um, And, you know, just interestingly enough, I I would say on a weekly basis, we get uh, some sort of email or phone call at the foundation that, hey, I saw a toilet seat with uh, Krishna on it, or I saw a skateboard with an ohm on it. And so, you know, that ignorance, um, and I, and I, don't think the vast majority of those commercial uses of iconography is with malintent. I think it's the result of being ignorant about the cultural appropriateness of uses. You know, you can go to India and you're going to find um, iconography on commercial products. So that's not, I mean, I, I will reserve an opinion on that, but there are certain contexts in which you will not find um iconography put on, say, a place where your feet are going to routinely be, or where you're going to, you know, relieve yourself like a bathroom. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's a matter of, you know, kind of deciphering through, well, is there malintent here? Is it in a context that 
you know, most Hindus would find offensive, and then reaching out and having that conversation to educate. And we've found that that has been probably the most constructive means of um, both meeting the concerns of Hindus uh, and also uh, bridging the divide between those who might be interested or using iconography. Our Women of Faith series is continuing today with a conversation with Suhag Shukla. She's the co-founder and executive director of the Hindu American Foundation and joining us today from Philadelphia. You know, uh, as I was thinking about um, having a conversation with you, I got this, I don't know, maybe it was an Amazon alert or something about this new book on the Beatles and the Mm -hmm. guru uh, that was just published a few months ago. You are also fighting, you know, these cultural associations between Hindus and entertainment culture and, you know, musical icons like like the Beatles. I mean, I think this is the way many Americans were introduced to the concept of yoga and gurus. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel kind of stupid even asking you about this, but but I know this is something that when people think about the place that a guru occupies in the Hindu faith, they go back to a lot of these cultural associations. What What, what do you say about that? You know, I think that if people, regardless of what background they're from and what industry they're in, if they find inspiration um, in the traditions of yoga or meditation, and they're able to share the impact uh, that those practices um, or the philosophy has had on their on their life, I think they're brand ambassadors. I don't want to use the really? word brand, but okay. they're but they're wonderful ambassadors. I think of something that's unknown. It doesn't make it seem as far off. Uh, I think that. You know, if an average American could better relate with, you know, George Harrison or Paul McCartney, as opposed to maybe the uh, recent Indian doctor um, who's now in their community, that being able to relate with one and that individual's persona or their experience being the bridge to maybe open up a conversation then with that Indian American doctor um, who's also Hindu and and having conversations then, I, I don't see anything um, negative about that. But where I think that if someone is, um, you know, using the tradition or, or taking things out of context and, and not necessarily um, representing it or relaying it in its fullness, or maybe even in their own um, personal interpretation Um, where it doesn't necessarily reflect how that particular concept sits in the whole of Hindu practice. Mm -hmm. Um, That, I think, then might perpetuate misunderstanding. I I know that you approach this pretty seriously because several years ago, your organization undertook this public campaign to take back yoga. Mm -hmm. This kind of seems a part of what, what I just asked you about, this perception of what gurus are and and the place that they occupy in the faith. So, so what was the what was the concept behind this idea of taking back yoga? I mean, what were you what were you reconciling public image with you know with the truth of it in the Hindu faith? Well, 
It started with our, well, I was reading a yoga journal. <laughs> I was in the <laughs> lobby waiting while my kids were, um, I think, at Kumon or something like that. Um, uh-huh. And um, as I was leafing through, and I had a, subs- a subscription, and I was reading through um, the magazine, and I saw ohms on, on every corner, you know, as a little decorative element, uh, and then was reading through it and found scant mention of Hindu. Uh, I saw yoga being referred to as Indic, Indian, um, even Vedic, uh, but not Hindu. There was also an article on Kabbalah and Jewish yoga. There was something about Christian yoga. And so, you know, all of a sudden I'm leafing through this magazine saying, well, is Hindu the new H word? And so uh, that kind of inspired a letter to the editors and a follow-up. And, you know, whether the person who answered the phone intended to say what she did or, you know, just was being flippant, but basically I was told that, well, you know, Hinduism does have baggage. (laughs) I was thinking, well, what religious tradition doesn't have baggage? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that kind of sparked... Um, and, and it wasn't just that one incident. Overall, we saw that so many Americans are benefiting from yoga, uh, but specifically the physical practices. And there's so much more. The physical practices are supposed to ready your mind for the more philosophical foundation of looking inward, recognizing our own divinity, and then being able to turn that outwards to recognize the divinity of others so that we're able to respect one another, love one another, show compassion and kindness. So when you stop yoga at just that physical aspect, um, one, it's very easy to delink it from this philosophical foundation, which is rooted in Hinduism. But second, people aren't going to necessarily see the full benefits of it. And then on the flip side, you have a community, a Hindu-American community that's lar- that largely overlaps with an Indian-American community who's facing misunderstanding, who's facing perhaps discrimination or hate crimes or bullying in schools. And so if there's a way to connect the two, to say, hey, listen, this is yoga, you go every week to your gym, but did you know there's more behind it? And mm-hmm. guess what? These other folks that you're, you know, maybe see as other are very much a part of that story. You know, I, I was reading a, an article about the reaction from the yoga community to the concerns that you raised. And mm-hmm. um, I, I read a remark from the owner of Namaste Yoga. And this probably sums up how a lot of people initially reacted. She said, Nobody owns yoga. Yoga is not a religion. It's a way of life, a method of becoming. We were taught that the roots of yoga go back further than Hinduism. Is there a whole lot wrong with that, with those those statements? Yeah, Yeah. I think there is. I think there is. First of all, there's a fundamental – Hinduism can be described as a way of life, as can many religions. It – it informs the way many people eat, the way they dress, the way they might see the world, how they treat the environment. And so, you know, Hindu practices and teachings can permeate every aspect of, of a Hindu's life. So to say that it's a way of life, I don't think is inaccurate. But this notion that it predates Hinduism, uh, 
you know, Hinduism is a tradition that's still, you know, for Hindus, we consider it to be Sanatan Dharma, which means eternal religion or eternal truth. So, um, you know, to say that Hinduism came after the Vedas or, you know, putting some arbitrary date when the Vedas, the ancient uh, scripture of of both Hindus, of Hinduism as well as yoga, um, is the foundation, then I don't think you can say that it's different. Um, the other point is, and I think this is the more important point, is that it wasn't about ownership. It was about acknowledgement mm-hmm. that Take Back Yoga, our project, was just that. So in the same way that we're going to say that champagne, for instance, comes from a particular region mm-hmm. yeah. in France, or Parmigiano Reggiano comes from a particular area of Italy, in that same way, um, it's about acknowledging that yoga is a spiritual discipline that is rooted in Hindu tenets. And the beauty of the tradition is that it's inherently pluralistic. It does not demand um, allegiance or conversion to the faith to be able to benefit from or borrow from the practices. And that's the key difference. I think especially in the West when uh, I think the predominant model for religion is one truth, um, you have to abide by this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that this is a monolith by any means. Obviously, people believe things on a spectrum. But when there's this notion that there's um, a better way or the right way of doing things and everything else is wrong, I think there's a discomfort then um, when when Hindus maybe assert that, well, wait a minute, we need to acknowledge the roots here. You know, I've often asked the women who have appeared in the series for books uh, um, or the writings of teachers that they think you know, are enlightening for for listeners who want to continue further uh, in discovery on this. Who would you recommend? Is there a book? Is there is there a leader that you think is writing in interesting ways about this? There's so many. Um, I mean, just as an introduction uh, to just start at the basics, um, and I would not let the titles of these books um, dissuade people because I think the series are are pretty good, but. The Idiot's Guide uh, to Hinduism, as well as Hinduism (laughs) for Dummies, are actually really well written. They really are. Um, It's become my go-to gift for young Hindu Americans who are graduating because it explains um, really complex uh, concepts in, in just approachable language. And so I think those are a good introduction. Um, certainly reading the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of our central core texts, um, is a good start to get an understanding of why people might say that uh, Hinduism is a way of life and how yoga is rooted um, or in the tradition. Um, Yoga means um, path, that it's a way in which um, the individual is... um, I don't even want to use the word instructed, but is given the guidelines for different ways of trying to pursue um, compassion towards others, to be of service to others. So the Bhagavad Gita, my favorite is by Radhakrishnan Sarvapeli, who uh, was the former president of India. And so 
um, the way that he elucidates it. It's written in old kind of British English Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the 40s and 50s. But I really appreciate um, his commitment to uh, translation, but also explanation. Suhag Shukla is the co-founder and executive director of the Hindu American Foundation, and she was joining us from Philadelphia today. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. You just heard a recording of a live radio show from NPR News. You can add your voice to the discussion by calling in at 800-242-2828 or tweeting us at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, NPR. To hear more conversations like this, subscribe to our podcast. And thanks.